see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Welcome, everybody. Spit. We are spitballing. It's the Spit Podcast. David Lee Scales, Scott Bass, and we are talking all things surf, and it is Tuesday. It is August 25th, Tuesday morning. Good morning, David. Good morning, Scott. Thanks for uh, letting us push this back to a later morning hour. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you made it with your cup of coffee. Did you just wake up? Uh, I woke up at 730 Oh my God, is that early or late or right on time? It's late. Dude, the puppy likes to cuddle in bed. If you got a puppy scratching at the bed at 6.30, you got to let her in. Well, that's funny. My dog this morning at 5.30 had a rat in its mouth. Oh no, are you serious? Front door, just all super stoked. Oh, so didn't make it inside with the rat? No, I shut it down. Okay, good. Um, Well, so last week, my puppy walked, tracked poop through the house. This week, yours is bringing a rat. Right. How Welcome to puppydom. Yeah. You <laughs> look at you. You have the look of a love. You're, you're in love. You have a, you are it's in not love. Bad. It is not bad at all. <laughs> um, but um, so what, so with the rat, give me the yeah. backstory. Is your dog a killer? I heard somebody was telling me a story the other day that their dog um, got into a scuffle with another dog and actually ended up killing the other dog. And it was crazy, and their dog had never exhibited any of that behavior before. But once she got the taste for blood, it was like she became vicious and almost um, attacked other dogs after that. They had to actually um, get rid of her. So Wow, that's yeah. pretty heavy, yeah. It is heavy. It's probably unique to certain breeds. Yeah. But what do you deal uh, with? Well, my dog, um, my dog has killed many rats, but he doesn't eat the rats he just kills them and then brings them to us like proudly you know to put them on display like look what i brought home right and they end up just kind of sitting at the front doorstep there and then i dispose of them he's got to be pretty agile if he can catch a rat yeah he's pretty good he's pretty good he's um the answer is yes i I imagine he's agile (laughs) fascinating (laughs) and good i mean that's kind of a great thing you don't need rats running around in your yard so that's a good thing yeah no it's wonderful it's a really good thing yeah good right before we turn on the mics you said hey do you know what i'm doing and then i interrupted you do you oh. remember what you were going to say i was calculating a uh, swell arrival time based on mark sponsor's stormsurf.com website oh okay i'm jonesing for the new swell if there is such a thing and um Anyway, I'm just, he's got this fascinating formula where you take the, the wind and you multiply it times 1.5, or you take the, the speed of the swell, like if it's a 13-second swell or a 15-second swell, and you multiply that times 1.5, and then you divide that by the miles between you and the actual storm, and then you divide that by 24 hours in a day, and it tells you how many days until the swell arrives. So that's what I'm doing. It's, it's really quite confusing. 
Is it accurate? It is accurate. I use it often when I'm thinking about new swell arrival times. Um, so is that why you were willing to push back our recording time is because you're not surfing today? No, I've actually, uh, I've got some, some buddies, some guys, I got some guys on my hill doing some work. Oh, okay. You're and still putting that retaining wall in? Yes. The wall's still happening. How's that going? Is that behind schedule at this point? I mean, there was, it's the weirdest thing. There really wasn't a schedule. I just started doing it before you knew it. I'm fully involved, so I don't have a full-on schedule. We're getting close to the end, though. We're putting in decomposed granite on the walkway right now, so we're getting close to finishing it up. We've probably got, you know, three or four days till the walkway is completed. Right. Um, I related to that because the reason why that came up previously was we were talking about masks, and... Um, you were saying that you were wearing masks while you were working out there in the heat with those guys. A listener yeah. chimed in and obviously masks are highly, somehow have become the most controversial thing in yeah. 2020 more so than the election or anything else. But a listener chimed in and he goes, Hey, does Scott, I got a question for you to pose to Scott. Um, does he think he will ever stop wearing a mask, especially in California? Let's say we do get some manner of a cure for COVID. We still have the regular flu, which is pretty deadly. Then there's TB. The common cold is deadly to those with weakened immune system. If you love your neighbor, as Scott said, is the reason for wearing a mask, then should we not always wear a mask when outside to quell the spread of any virus? <laughs> Controversy. I'm, I'm, I'm noting some sarcasm in his query. Nope. I think he was dead serious. You are committed uh, to a mask for the rest of your life. Well, here's the deal. I'm not an expert. I'm just kind of going by what the experts are telling me to do. And everybody seems to be an expert, which is the problem. I mean, I'm hearing from David Gales <laughs> on what I should do. I'm hearing from I never people. advised on anything that you should do. Well, I mean, I think some of the stuff you were mentioning about building up an immune system Oh yeah, yeah. Um, is is valid, you know, like but until there's um a vaccine or some really good therapies for this, for the sake of my elderly parents and the elders around me and the immune compromised around me, of which I might not who they are. Uh I might not know who they are. Uh, I'm gonna wear a mask. You know. So to his point though, um, that population is still vulnerable to things like the flu and the common cold. So how do you proceed even after there is, let's say a vaccine for COVID? Well, then I would just go back to normal because, um, you know, for whatever reason, um, you know, the elderly, we know what can happen with those things that the emailer mentioned, the, the common cold, the, flu season, all of those things, tuberculosis. Um, many people, I think, have a TB shot, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. My point is, is that this thing is new. It's a no novel coronavirus. It's brand new. We don't know. They're still finding out what it's going to do to people. In the long run, apparently, there's been some data that suggests that this thing could, although you get over it, it still kind of can break down your system. Again, nobody knows. Yeah. 
So until we get a better picture of this, which we do have a big picture of TB and the common cold, we've been dealing with these things for hundreds of years. This particular new virus, um, you know, everyone's kind of, and maybe we're on pins and needles a little too much. Maybe we're tiptoeing around this thing. Maybe we're being overly cautious, but um, you know, what's the flip side of that? Being flippant and this thing being way worse or as bad as some are suggesting it can or could be. And, and you know, why not err on the side of caution? What's the problem with that? Yep. Conformity, living in a socialist society, bro. That's the problem. <laughs> You're just Dude, a you bunch of sheep. I'll tell you what's conformity. The fact that you and I own, everyone has an Apple. Everyone uses Amazon. I mean, there, nothing spells conformity like, a supposed free market capitalism, which has just one friggin' Amazon and one internet provider. And I mean, you know, like, I know we need to break up some of these big tech companies. I think, man, they're, they're just going to own us and that's conformity. Let's have right. some antitrust laws be enforced. They own even more now uh, in the last four months, all of those guys net worth I saw a number, the numbers, it was insane. Their net worth increased by like, you know, 20% um, since COVID started from Bezos um, and Elon Musk. Certainly if you've seen what Tesla stock is doing right now, and it's largely because the um, regulations are shutting down small businesses clearly. And then Amazon and Walmart are just, you know, doubling their market yeah. share from all of that stuff. So there is a lot of interesting conspiracy theory floating and um, I take everything with a grain of salt, but it's so fun just to dig into the conspiracy theory, you know, and think well, let about me ask it. You, and this, uh, you bring up an interesting point. My daughter, who's a junior in college, the university, um, she asked me, she goes, dad, is it, at what point is too much money, too much money? Like, great question. Should it be illegal to be a billionaire? Now, obviously, on, on our on the surface, you're like, no, it should not. I mean, that's the way I feel. I'm. I'm like, dude, let them do it. Let them earn as much as they want to earn. There's an unlimited quantity of wealth. It's not just a pie, and there's only so many slices. There are more and more and more pies. I mean, all the government has to do is start printing the money, which is what they're doing. They're just printing money. They're not even printing. Why are deficits going yeah. through the roof? they're not even actually printing it anymore because there's no gold standard attached to it. It's just assigning numbers on a computer somewhere. Right. Well, that's so, that's, yeah, completely that's what I was getting at. Fanciful. Right. So, but the question about like, and she posed it in the context of, do you know how much a billion dollars really is? Like it's when, and I forget how she did it, but I'll tell you, I know the numbers. Yeah. You know, the numbers, give us the numbers. In numbers. Did she do it in seconds? Yes, she did. She did. So, a relative to a million dollars. Right. A billion um, relative to a million. A million seconds is 12 days. A billion seconds is 32 years. Right. Perfect. So, And that's, that's not a joke. That's not hyperbole. That is math. A million seconds is 12 days. A billion seconds is 32 years. They're not even close to one another. Right. When you hear that somebody has $50 million and you think that's a lot and you hear somebody has 3 billion, you're like, oh yeah, those are, those are both lots of money. No, 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 no. Those are wildly different numbers of money. They're not even close. It's, you know. So do you need, does a person need a billion dollars? No, of course question. not. No. Right. 
and that was sort of the question that she posed. And I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting discussion. It's an interesting, like when you, you and your friends get together and you guys pop open a bottle of wine and you have dinner, it's a really fascinating discussion. Is you it know, illegal? Could, should it be illegal? I never, I've never thought about it in those terms. Um, I think there's lots of problems. Uh, almost like the, hum, the human, the human, the human psyche isn't even equipped to have that level of not only wealth, but the power that comes with it. And so there's going to be a lots of folly along the way, whether or not it should be illegal. I have a real hard time saying yes to that. Yeah. I feel like you can what certainly- What about a 90% tax? Yeah, I'm okay with certain things like that or even regulating that makes um, the marketplace a lot more competitive. So it's a lot harder to become that behemoth in the marketplace. Or for somebody like Zuckerberg who did it in such short time, you know, now he's clearly running a monopoly and controlling- um, so much of the marketing dollars that are being spent by all the major corporations that he has major influence, period. Major influence. That's a certain, antitrust issue. Yeah, sure. exactly. So major influence in terms of elections. We already saw that in 2016. But major influence uh, for waging wars, major influence for um, infighting with political groups or religious groups or any of that sort of stuff. So there's a lot. And he doesn't, seemed to have, he didn't have any uh, moral kind of co code of conduct set in place from the get-go. And now, and morality isn't even part of that business plan. Obviously, time on site and selling ad dollars is part of that business plan. So I'm not really advocating for the government to step in on the side of morality and try to mandate what should be moral and immoral. But there does need to be some sort of regulation in place. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's too much power for one person. It's too it's concentrated. An concept. And that's the it, other problem. It does with, seem that, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, that's the other problem is that, that, and the reason why the stock market, or one of the reasons that I've heard the stock market is thriving through this desperate time, is that the money and, um, you know, the powers, for lack of a better term, are just a lot more... <clears throat> Uh, there's fewer of them essentially. So there's fewer companies being traded on the stock market now than there was five years ago and even fewer than 10 years ago. And there was fewer five than 10 years ago. So there are basically just a couple of large companies at this point. And as everything else falls by the wayside, like we said, small businesses, um, your small, small local grocery, while that's happening, Amazon purchased Whole Foods. So Amazon just continues to gain market share in every sector. And you're going to have just five or six big companies and a real focus of power and where all the dollars are spent. And that's very dangerous. And we've already seen them influencing, like I said, elections. And we know that lobbyists make half a million bucks a year on cap in Washington to take senators to lunch and influence. So we know that, you know, policy is being influenced uh, for capitalist interests. That's been happening for a long time, but it's even more dangerous now, I would say. Um, so, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, look, the, the concept of free market capitalism, it just simply isn't a free market anymore when they really have that isn't. much power. It's no. just, there. there's no way that we can compete. Well, there's just simply not a way that you could compete. If you were like, let's take, let's compete against Facebook. 
No, you can't. Like, there's no way you're going to compete. You can't. And when those people have done it successfully, like Instagram did, Facebook comes in and they buys, buy it for a billion dollars. They bought that company for a billion dollars when there was 12 employees and it was 18 months old. And so that's where the antitrust law needs to come into place. Here's a question I have for you that ties in with exactly what you're asking. I never had any financial education through my schooling. I learned about wars that happened hundreds of years ago. I learned about all sorts of stuff that I never use. I never was taught to balance a checkbook. Yet, as soon as I went to college, there was um, credit card companies set up with tables offering you a credit card to an 18-year-old who has no financial, you know, um, literacy. Yeah, wherewithal or even just um, literacy. So that also now begins to look conspiracy, like a conspiracy to me where it's like the people who are running those banks, who by the way get bailed out when they make terrible decisions and none of them do jail time, they are preying on the 18 and 20 year olds in the school systems, not even teaching you the basics, are also complicit. It seems like, hey, keep the vast populace, the 99% uh, illiterate, not understanding, so they sign up to do, to pay twenty percent interest on this thing, and they get in debt, and they all just actually become compliant, and ever all of their neighbors are also in debt, and they're all living. We're going to then sell them houses that they can't afford through a mortgage company that isn't even backed by a bank. So you know what I mean? Like every step of the way is just like here, take more, take more, take more, and now these companies that. We told you, you can come work for and you'll have a pension. We're actually not going to bail them out either. And they're going to start outsourcing to India to have somebody do your job. It's like the night, it's like design for the 1% to be protected to, by the way, Amazon pay zero in taxes and for all of the little pe lesser people to pay a lot in taxes and get worse healthcare for spending the most amount of dollars on it. You know, like every... It's, it really does seem rigged at this point. Yeah. <clears throat> well, we've gone down a rabbit hole here for a show that's supposed to be about surfing. Um, I don't think there's any surfing. To it. There's no surfing happening right now. <laughs> well, there's a couple of wave pools. That's about it. Um, we promised to sort of revisit this, this Brazilian story that I told a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I guess just to, put it into context somehow or another you, you fleshed a story out of me about a trip I took to Indo maybe 10 or 12 years ago in which a, a boatload of Brazilians sort of jumped out of the water jumped into the water and sort of tried to take over a spot and 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 I had some conflict and so I got a really interesting email from a Brazilian that I thought would be good to read on the air if you don't mind i'd love to hear it, it says hi scott <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> i've been listening to your podcast for about five years now and this will be the first time i've commented on something as a brazilian surfer myself i felt drawn to this whole discussion of brazilian surfers misbehaving in the lineup i'll try to give you a perspective from somebody who lived in brazil during his whole life and also traveled more than enough to surf all sorts of destinations I'm in my 30s. I started surfing seven years ago. And although I'm relatively new at this, I think I've experienced enough to articulate an opinion. 
I can't say I'm an example of the average Brazilian surfer, nor that my opinion reflects what others of my country think, but here is my opinion. The way Brazilians behave at the lineup is pretty much the way we behave during all kinds of different situations and places. Our society works as a non-official anarchy with all the bad things that come with that and none of the benefits. In Brazil, we grow up having very few examples of good leadership or community work, citizenship, or organized systems. You touched on the term civilized. I'd say that we are indeed a wilder society, and maybe that means less civilized, as we are used to a lack of command, a lack of discipline, a lack of order of any kind, a lack of respect, and a lack of patience. If we don't learn those things from our parents at home, we certainly will not be learning them from any community, society, or government. My home beach break, where I've served for the last few years, have become twice or three times more popular during the pandemic, as surfers from big cities such as Rio started coming to the less populated towns to spend their vacation. So my friends and I have been having trouble with the crowded lineups, considering there is no order at all. There are no turns. Nobody takes a turn. Most of the times, whoever comes from behind has the preference. It doesn't matter if it's the same surfer over and over and over again, but not always. That is also relative. It depends on who the guy is paddling, if it's a male or a female, if he is old or young, if he is a good surfer or not, if he is huge or skinny. So the whole thing becomes a paddle battle or an exchange of furious looks. The winner is whoever is most energetic, screams the loudest, or who has the most frothing look. I wish things were different, and we started a new organized, quote, system for preference based on taking a turn. But it is what it is, and for a change to happen, we would have to develop as a society first. And for that to happen, we would need a better educational system. And for that to happen, we would need to slow down corruption. And for that to happen, we would need better politicians. And for that to happen, we would have to develop as a society. And so it's a cycle and it's very hard to break. Anyways, I had to take a deep dive here on giving you an idea why Brazilians behave the way they do. Not everyone in Brazil is like this, but those who are the majority make it a hell of a lot more noise than those who aren't. Cheers, Marcelo. Fascinating. So, That's very telling. Brazilians input. Doesn't that feel like an accurate reflection of what we experience and what you talked about in the water, it really sums it up. Yeah, a lack of education from, from the get-go. Well, I think um, I'm, uh, I'm wondering now, though, if he was saying, like, well, if we want the lineups to change, we need society to change and we need the home environment to change and all that. I'm actually wondering if the genesis takes place in the water because I feel like it has in a lot of other ways, um, the structure of the meritocracy, it's very primary, it's very hunter and gather. And it's kind of like you learn respect in that environment and it, you almost become, I don't know. Well, let me, let me read another email which touches on what you're saying. Okay. It's from an Australian. And I, I touched a little bit on this last time, but I'm gonna, I boiled it down as good as I can. It's just three or four paragraphs here. 
Scott, absolutely nothing inappropriate about commenting on cultural differences between countries when it comes to Brazilian surfers. They sure are culturally different. When we see a flock of Brazil seagulls jump off a boat in Indo to squawk in the lineup like while they fight over each and every wave like it was a decaying Dorito, we all clench our fists and our mood becomes as dark as a dog's guts. No point trying to reason with the Brazil nuts. They won't give a shit. Be prepared to either let them take all the waves or be prepared for confrontation. There's no middle ground. The question is why? Why are they inherently evil or are they inherently evil? Are they just selfish bastards who wouldn't even piss on their own mother if she was on fire? Probably not. I want to put to you a theory that answer that may answer this question and it has to do with surf culture here in australia and i suspect in california and other long established surf countries surf culture has been taught and handed down from one generation to the next even if you are a new surfer at every major break there's usually etiquette signs if you take a surf lesson or go on an organized surf trip you'll get a lecture on how to behave in the lineup but, and this is the important point for our friends in Brazil, the root source of historical surf culture is Hawaiian. Just like the Islamic people pray to Mecca, surfers have historically looked to Hawaii and to Pacific Island culture. To Brazilians, as a new surfing nation, these concepts of Pacific Islander culture, of play hard but play fair, just aren't part of their internal dialogue when it comes to surfing. As a nation, they are newbies. There's no historical Hawaiian tradition of honor and nobility in the lineup in Brazil. Duke Kahanamuku never came to their country in, 1920, in 1912 to teach people how to surf. Their grandfathers in the 50s and 60s didn't save for a one-way ticket to the North Shore of Oahu so they could surf mythical waves and come back to tell the tale in surfing magazines like your California grandfathers did. As a new nation, what's Brazilian surfing cultural compass? It's bloody Instagram and black hat Gabe Medina dropping in in the name of gamesmanship to win a heat. So, gentlemen, that's the reason why Brazilians are pricks in the lineup. They just don't share the same culture or traditions. You are from Venus and they are from Mars. And if it's good enough for Gabby, it's good enough for them. Dave from Marubra. Uh, he certainly has feels strongly about it. <laughs> I don't know that I fully share his same. I certainly don't fully share his same sentiment. I think some of what he says is accurate, um, but it's also tinged with a lot of I don't know. A well, lot of other he seems things. to think it stems from uh, a lack of. Uh, well, them coming from a different culture. And well, I think that part's accurate. You know, I think that that part of like not having um, their genesis being different than most of the rest of surfing world's genesis, which was Duke, Kanamoku. Yeah. So I think being born from a different place, that's exactly kind of, he nailed it there. But um, all the allusions to animals feel a little bit offensive. <laughs> 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 to put it mildly. <laughs> Okie dokie. Um, I got a question uh, or an email, and it was a question of privilege. He said, hey, I wanted to share a note about the fallacy of me uh, meritocracy as 
as it relates to what you guys were talking about, but viewed through the lens of my work environment. I recently became aware that those near the top of the privilege pyramid can almost never see the things that undercut the meritocratic system. I think that you guys started to tackle this with your discussion about equipment, but my guess is that it goes so much deeper. Access to the means of earning merit are incredibly unbalanced. Beyond equipment, there's things just like having free leisure time or being born in a situation where your parents have time and have a way to get you down to the beach. Having a car, having gas to put in the car, not being side glanced or slurred every time you enter the lineup or exit the car park because of, well, a variety of factors. And sure, some of those things may fuel a person uh, to push, may fuel to push a person even farther, but the reverse is quite possibly more often true. And I'm not suggesting that anyone should feel guilty or whatever, but I do support the WSL making a definitive statement on the subject. And uh, at the very least, maybe it'll spark a conversation or two. Now, do I think that the WSL, that that statement will result in any actionable change? They can barely stream an event, so no, I don't. Shoot, they can't even spell. <laughs> Anyways, thanks again for all the content. Stoked to hear you got a new pup and uh, lots of love from the Great Lakes. Max, this is a Great Lakes surfer. All right, cool. So that question of privilege, I hate to even use the word privilege, and I think that I did bring it up last week, and that's probably why he referenced it, but um, the word privilege almost inherently carries guilt with it because it's used to be like, hey, your white privilege prevents you from seeing that, and then you're supposed to feel guilty for being born in the situation you're born into. I don't have any of that guilt, so I hate to use the word privilege, but it's the right word to use without all of that uh, baggage that comes with it. The fact that, you know, you made the comment last time about like, hey, if I look at the waves, I choose the right board to ride in those waves. The fact that you have a bunch of boards to choose from already puts you in an advantage, advantageous situation. So I think that to his point, you're, once you start living a certain lifestyle, start earning more money, start living with a certain level of comfort, you totally do forget maybe where you came from and all of the struggle. Um, and all of the things that kind of impede your, your progress, you know? Yeah. I, it, it's funny. I, I kind of boil it down as I listen to what you're saying. I, I think about my upbringing and specifically as a surfer and it was very much my own, like, my parents didn't necessarily want, you know, they weren't super stoked that, 150% of my energy and my time was was spent and geared towards me and my little crew of friends surfing you know right. like like I didn't I wasn't given 15 surfboards by my parents I, I had a surfboard and a skateboard with carpet on it and I skated down to the beach with a backpack with an old crusty wetsuit in it and some shitty single fin and I surfed hardcore and I sought out waves and I went to Mexico without their approval. Like I did. And there's, and I don't say this, like I'm special. What I'm saying is there's a nine, there's a bunch of people just like me yep. that put in the hard yard that, that did the thing when they were 12 years old and did it until we're, you know, we, where we are now. 
have been doing it for 40, you know, four decades plus. And so I don't think, I don't think that there, if there's a privilege, I earned it. It wasn't like handed to me like a credit card. Right. Yeah. Well, to his point, I think you're overlooking a bunch of things too. The I fact that you lived, the fact that you lived near the beach, right. you know, I'm the fact that you had. You said I'm not supposed to feel guilty for that. No, you're not supposed to feel guilty. Plus, for in it. the '70s, living near the beach wasn't a big deal. It was affordable. Like, yeah, but like it's not. I anymore. could live with my single mom nurse, you know, in a little studio cottage in Del Mar in 1979 and pull it off. Now that's right. definitely not happening now. Definitely not. And I, I'm not suggesting that you should feel guilt about it. I think the, what makes us um, a more elevated species than maybe some of the animal kingdom is the ability to have compassion, yes. you know? And so it's kind of like, it's not that you feel guilt for the way you are and you start giving set waves to somebody else out of, you know, uh, pity like out of anything other than you can see somebody's also working to get to the level that you're at and you know they could use a little bonus every once in a while it's not a pity party it's just like i'm compassionate towards this other person and i don't need every single set wave of the day you know yeah that's kind of more i think the more elevated way of uh viewing the thing we've got plenty we've got plenty and we got enough to give you know yeah. Um, did you want to have a conversation about surf lakes, the imagery yeah. that they just put out? Was this yeah, in your notes too? It is. It, actually, here's what's interesting. Surf lakes has been in my notes for about five or six episodes, and I never get to it. Because about a month or so ago, they announced that somebody in the USA is licensing the surf lakes technology, and that immediately got my attention because that technology – is uh, to put it nicely, I think it's unique, and to and from a business standpoint, it. I mean, it didn't necessarily start off great. Like no. the technology broke down. They like it, it's kind of got this Mad Max vibe where there's this like big puff of black smoke that comes out of some sh gnarly, you plunger. know, yeah, plunger iron iron smokestack thing. It just it's of all the technologies, it's it's the one that you're like, that's the first one that's probably not going to pull it off <laughs> because it broke. And, and it's, and it takes a huge amount of infrastructure. It, and it looks like it uses a lot of resource and energy to cr do what it does more than, more than other tools. So like I said, a month and a half ago, they're like, Hey, we're doing one in the USA. And I was like, wow, I need to put this in my notes and talk to David about it. This is interesting. Like they're pulling it because there's all these other technologies here in the USA, you know, wave lock and, um, American Wave Machines and Kelly Slater's thing. And they seem to be getting all the attention. So when Surflakes got somebody in the US, a developer to, to bite on their technology, I was like, wow, okay, this is interesting. And now here we are a month and a half later and they just put out this new edit and this new press release and I'll let you take it from there. Do you know where the Cal or where the US no, one is going to be based? Okay. They would not say who it was or where it was all very hush hush, but they're like, we got a buyer, you know? Like, so I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Well, um, a week ago, somebody sent me an Instagram image of Dean Morrison, Dingo, getting barreled on a right there. And they're like, dude, this wave actually looks pretty legit. Like it looks thick and it's obvious, it's like overhead. And um, 
you know, Scott Bass always claiming, call me when it's six foot and perfect. This wave, it's overhead and it's pretty thick. It looks legit. I was like, yeah, but isn't Dingo like five foot five? Like it's not that, it doesn't have to be that big to be overhead for Dingo. And then the next image was Aki. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Isn't Aki like five, six? That's so the same is, guy? Exactly. One's regular, one's goofy. Um, muscly thighs. You know, I'm pretty sure they're the same guy. Uh, well, I was joking, obviously, but there's a little element of truth in that, except this new kind of slate of imagery that came out in the last 48 hours seems to validate what that guy was messaging me. And um, I'll read from Michael Ciamarella's, or kind of paraphrase what Michael Ciamarella wrote on Stab. By the way, I know I've been corrected on this before. Is the town called Yepin? I believe it is Yepin. Okay, I'm going to stick with Yepin. So this facility for surf lakes in Yepin is their R&D site. But as with kind of Slater's Pool in Lemoore, they might start utilizing it to um, test the site's commercial viability. And again, this is the question that remains with all of these sites is what is the commercial viability? You can buy a bunch of land, build millions of dollars of, you know, um, wave pool, whatever, build it out. But can the thing make money? How many people can you get in there and how much well, can you charge them to make money on this step thing? Step in for just a second, as yeah. you know, the beautiful thing about, the, the, my takeaway from today's story is this is an open, vast space. And it feels more like you're in the ocean. You're not cramped in some little corner of a swimming pool somewhere, standing, waiting for your wave to jump into it. Right. This is like, and so if this Surf Lakes technology actually comes to the market and bears fruit, it's the one that's kind of the most exciting to me because when that plunger goes down, six waves are created. Five, you know, I think and each one goes right and left. So that's 12 waves that are created, which... And there's like three, to, from four, a, from three a to four waves a set. Right, exactly. So I think they said, and it's in the press release there, that you're looking at 30 or 40 waves every time the plunger drops. That is commercially viable. Meaning 30 to 40 people right. can ride a wave every 60 seconds. Right, thank you. So that, if you think, okay, well... Um, I'm going to ride a wave and then I'm going to wait, let's say three minutes till I get another wave. Well, that's 120 people in the pool at a time that you can be billing a hundred bucks an hour, maybe, you know, like that. And if you have stadium lights, you could potentially run this thing at night as well. So that's presumably viable. It's got the most upside and it has the most downside because of the technology. It's like you're scratching your head. Well, um, it also, I agree with everything that you said, by the way, that in terms could be, of this by the way, seems... Because I'm, I'm naive about the technology. I don't mean no. to stand here like an engineering expert. I just don't, it just well, looks it, scary. And again, that's, that's from a place of ignorance. I, I don't mean it's not, to... It's not just technology. scary. It's, it takes a massive, because of that openness that you're talking about, it takes a larger footprint, which, you know, is a more that's expensive... Okay. No, but it's more expensive to buy that much land than it is a little bit of land. It's also more expensive to run a wave for that's going to do that much in terms of re, uh, energy that it's going to generate. It's more expensive to create more energy than it is less energy. So it seems to be there's a lot of expense here. 
So yes, you're right, more risk. Um, back to Michael's article, he said, quote, we had two way, this is from Wayne Dart um, of Surf Lakes. He said, we had two pools commissioned in the US. So two rather right. than one. And we're looking at a potential, at potentially building a pool on the Gold Coast. But we found it's difficult to secure the required land permits in certain regions around the world. That's proven to take much longer than building an actual wave system, end quote. So what I'll say to you, Scott, is the magic thing here is having it close enough to a surfing population. Sure, you could go buy land in the middle of America or the middle of Australia for cheap, like but nobody, yeah, but nobody will be able to get to it. So the idea is to have it relatively close to a surfing population, but have enough undeveloped land that you can get permitted for this exact thing. I mean, it's going to, it's going to be more expensive because of the proximity to surfers, but it's also going to be harder to permit for this sort of thing. I don't know. I, I mean, you're not going to build one. Obviously for the reasons you mentioned, you're not going to build one of these in San Francisco. You know what I mean? Like I, but there's so many, I mean, I could name a million, I could name five places right now where we could build this thing. That's an hour from an airport that you and I would get in onto the orange County airport and fly an hour and be like, wow, this is killer. And the land's cheap. You You wanted an hour from an airport and an hour from a surfing population would be like for us, Palm Springs booked and it's not a surfing population. It's only booked because that's the only option right now. Well, I'm I'm just, I, I mean, I think that uh, Kelly's, Kelly's thing is pretty booked. I think if they opened it up, you'd be surprised. You know, if they opened it up to the public, I bet Kelly's thing would be booked. I really think that those things are still riding off of novelty and scarcity. Once, once these things aren't so novel anymore, I wonder how many people are going to be flying to Waco to surf that. I don't know, but they're book solid. Yeah. And, and I guess that's the million dollar question quite literally. But uh, I think if you're, if you're like, Hey, we can fly to Waco and get one wave or we can fly to surf lakes somewhere in Texas. Let's just say, and get five waves every time the plunger drops times two times times a right and a left times three waves a set you know it's it starts to make a lot more sense maybe you're right maybe maybe there's maybe the market saturates itself and it's just like no one's even interested anymore and it's a huge waste of money um i doubt that i think surfers are jonesing for perfect tubes i well i do think that there will be a technology, maybe two, that actually stay around. I think that this isn't a full novel. I think it will, there will be a couple of things that stick around for the indefinite future. So it's kind of an arms race between the four and five companies to try to not be last in line. The ones that generate the most number of waves, I think, will be the ones that stand. The Kelly Slater pool seems to be less and less viable every day. Um, and especially like this surf lakes one makes good waves. It's not like, Oh, we're going to surf piddly waves or Kelly's perfect wave one every five minutes. No, you're going to surf a really good wave that happens frequently enough to where you're not so nervous if you fall or not so bummed about your lost expense. If you fall, I think the other detail, what does that feel like by the way? 
terrible. <laughs> I'm still suffering the uh, traumatic effects of it. I'm never going right. to recover. That was a softball you just threw me there. Um, but I think the other thing that's at play in terms of where to build these things, like you said, an hour from an airport, I'd say also relative proximity to a surfing population. The other thing is amenities nearby. Like Waco is going to be less and less appealing when you have the Palm Spring pools open and people can go to Coachella or they can go to all the restaurants in Palm Springs. They can go golfing. They can do all that stuff. There's a lot to do in Palm Springs. And the wave pool is just, and by the way, if you're bringing your girlfriend or your wife or your kids or any of that stuff, they want to do all that other stuff. And then you go surf the pool. Waco, Waco. is like the worst option. <laughs> I mean, in hindsight, it's going to look like a joke, you know? So, um, by the way, I heard, is Waco for sale? Did I read that somewhere? Yeah, it went up for sale last, um, I want to say in February of this year. It's been a long time. Um, it was really quiet. That's a red flag. Well, so be, this was a, I did discuss this a little bit. It was a, um, almost flew under the radar. This story was reported by a local reporter for a small newspaper in Waco. Um, like I said, back in February. And I think what the story was, was the sale was interrupted by a water issue. All the local farmers were concerned about the new buyers going to be building out the park and needing more resource, more water. And so that held up the transaction. I don't know if the transaction ever went through, but just this week, Beach Grit, maybe even the last couple of days, Beach Grit wrote an article talking about the kid from New Jersey who died there from that amoeba, the brain eating amoeba that he caught in Waco, flew home to New Jersey and died. And apparently there's a lawsuit with the family against BSR Cable Park. And so it looks like the sale is an attempt to not be held liable for, you know, that. Yeah. So, uh, which is all rumor. I, I don't know that that's any of that's substantiated. But yeah, it doesn't bode well for the wave pool industry at large. And even when that kid died, I mean, it really was a scary moment for anybody who was invested in wave pools, I think. It's yeah. bad optics. Yeah, for sure. But their way out of it was um, getting the best filtration system, you know, coming back and saying, hey, we're going to close for a few months, invest in filtration. And when we come back, we'll have cleaner water than anybody. And uh, that seemed to work because as soon as they reopened, they were booked. Indefinitely. Let me ask you this. Would could you do you think you could um fly to nashville drive an hour to a, a surf lakes and surf it would like would I nashville would. be yeah nashville's a nashville great draw. i'm sure yours cheap land an hour from nashville totally. 45 minutes from the airport that's what i want we know austin is totally worthy um i mean there's a there's a lot of places there's probably some places 45 minutes from Houston, mm -hmm. 45 minutes from Dallas. Um, you you kind of think, got to think about the Southwest or just the Southern portion of the country relative to weather. But yeah, I, you know, well, um, there's a lot of places. Yeah. You're not, I agree with you. Um, the kid that they were profiling in the stab article at surf lakes, his name's Kobe Perkowit Perkovich. And he said, I can't really fault surf, uh, the Surf Lakes pool. 
it's not like they're paying me to say this or anything, but it's genuinely fun. There's a ton of waves. They've got power. The whole thing feels really open. It's pretty much like the ocean. And that's a direct quote, but in another portion of the article, he was talking about, um, I think Slade Presswich, professional surfer Slade Presswich, broke a couple of boards. He said the slabbing right is um, actually really challenging and it breaks in about a foot of water. So it's pretty thick, it's pretty gnarly. Uh, He said he only made, I think, like 10 out of the 30 waves that came to him and it was felt like the ocean. So. Yeah, that's that's kind of was my takeaway that it looks like it looks like one that I very much would like to to check out. You know what totally. I mean? Um, I got an email from Tom in Wales. Do you remember they built a, a wave pool in Bristol? It's yeah. called the Wave. Yeah, and it has the Cove technology from Wave Garden. Yeah. So not the slow, crappy wave garden tech, but the one that um, actually kind of barrels, like it's a barreling yeah. wedge up against the edge of the pool. So Tom and Whale said, I had to think of you guys when I had my first wave pool experience the other week over at the wave in Bristol. The surf level in Wales isn't as high as what you see people doing on the pools in the internet. People weren't making relatively easy takeoffs, and my heart ached as wave after wave reeled off unridden into its mildly chlorinated death. That won't go on for long. The quality of this wave will make sure that there's soon someone who can compete on the world stage despite growing up in in, uh, dribbling surf. Then wait until the Germans get a hold of the tech. My (laughs) My own experience was insane. Arrived super nervous after hearing from friends how tricky it was. Then I messed up on the first four waves. Then I had a word with myself and I got more into a more relaxed mindset. And there it was again, pure stoke like I hadn't experienced in months. Letting go of everything and focusing on the moment, allowing to actually have an enlightened experience. The kind of stuff that uh, tends to happen more when you're inside of nature and surfing. Yet it all happened here in a field outside of Bristol. Anyways, love the show. Uh, yours was the very first podcast that I ever downloaded, and I've been addicted ever since 2014. Cheers, Tom. And by the way, Tom, in a separate email that he sent me the day prior, called you out, Scott Bass, for being yeah. a kook because okay. he sent an email two years ago yes. outlining a better tour, which yes. was all video based. And yes. at the time you said it was lame, but it turned out to be prophetic because in the year of the virus, this is now exactly what we're doing. His idea might've been lame two years ago, but little did you know back then when you heard his email read to you that it was actually a prophecy for 2020. Well, Tom, I apologize. I didn't mean to, uh, apparently I've, I've upset you to the point of name calling, but you know, that's okay. That's what we're here. We're going to take a few darts. At least he name called you as an individual, not an entire race of people. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh man. Um, Somebody else, I don't think this was him. Maybe it was him. Uh, Somebody pitched the idea. Remember we were basically complaining about surf ranch competition and how boring it is. Yeah. He was saying old dude surfing the ranch. Like if you did a heritage series heat at the ranch, that would actually be the most interesting thing. Seeing yeah. Mark Richards. Um, Those guys could get pitched. <laughs> <You know laughs> Mark I mean? Potter, but their surfing style is different enough 
to where it actually makes it interesting, you know? Yeah, yeah it kind of does. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, single funds. Well, well, that's what I got on wave pools for this week. Well, that's all I've got for wave pools too. Um, Billy Kemper yesterday received the ride of the year award for the um, WSL's Red Bull um, big wave double XL, whatever they call it. Um, the annual awards thing. And they've been leaking out. I don't know. I'm sure you've seen this. They've been leaking out um, winners of the various categories over the past couples of days here. And, um, but I think the big one is the ride of the year. And that's the one that Billy Kemper won for the second time. He's won ride of the year and um, congratulations to Billy. It's a beautiful, which it's a backdoor jaws way. It looks like backdoor pipeline, except it's jaws. (laughs) I mean, like it's mental. He just gets uh, incredibly deep and spit out of a tube. And it's one of those ones where you just go, uh, yeah, that's, Pretty sure that's never happened before from a paddle in standpoint, as far as the depth. And it was one where a lot of times those guys, they set their rail and they're just kind of like holding on. And you get the sense that he must have had to adjust inside of this wave to, to kind of get through the tube. And, um, you know, it's, it's just an incredible large backdoor jaws tube. Do you remember when the wave was ridden? I. Uh, you know, I think during the last event they had maybe, or not really. No, the answer is no. I don't exactly remember, but it was obviously within the last year. Yeah. Um, October, November. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Billy Kemper really was not a guy I would have put money on, let's say five years ago for having such a fruitful career. Like I knew he surfed big waves and he surfed the North shore, but he was always like B level kind of fair to Midland and didn't seem to have any like real marquee sponsor that was pushing him. And the, the reef deal, I feel like transitioned from a footwear deal to the full, um, you know, the main sponsor, but I, I am shocked and his, I, I would attribute his success to hard work ethic. Yeah. He's like, exactly he's not, right. he's not yeah. the most talented dude just naturally, but he has done more hard work, spent more time in the gym, focused yeah. on jaws, surf jaws when it's unruly, when it's small, when it's big, when it's windy, when it's everything and put in just all of the hard work that's required to actually excel beyond the people who had more natural talent than he's had, uh, than he was gifted with. And so it's really good to see actually that he's enjoyed the fruits of all of those labors, you know, and even he did that Morocco trip, I guess, six months ago or whatever. And he got injured on it, got injured, getting barreled on a right and getting slammed against the bottom. And I think it was like a hip injury or a spinal injury, maybe even from hitting his hip. And in very short order, he was in Southern California getting treated by the best doctors, doing all the rehab and rehabbed from that injury super quickly. And um, he looks to be in top condition again. So it's impressive. I would just, yeah, just second everything that you said. You know, he's, he's sort of the Adriana de Souza of the big wave world. He's a work, working man's champion. He's, he's a blue collar, lunch pail, Green Bay Packer type of um, guy, you know, like he, he took what was, um, given to him and he 
and he made a hundred took a you know took it to a a whole new level and he, he put in the hard work and he's just a blue collar I, i'm a huge huge fan i used to have a stereotype not to dive deeper into stereotypes but i used to have a stereotype about the maui surfers that they were a little more aloof than let's say the north shore of oahu surfers and maybe they felt slighted by not having the limelight that the north shore has but i felt like i mean clay marzo actually has a condition so you maybe he's not included in the conversation but guys like matt miola maybe albie layer kai barger it was kind of like they're so talented and they're happy just surfing those waves and so they're not going to necessarily adhere to what the industry requires of them because they're kind of killing it on their own accord and at that time there was enough money floating through the industry that they were getting paid well enough to where they just kind of kept doing their own thing. I feel like this other group, Kai Lenny, um, Ian Walsh, Billy Kemper, they've shaken up my stereotype and have become like this new, I don't know, it's a new stereotype that I have now for Maui, which is like, because they don't have the access to the media that uh, the North Shore had, or because that access doesn't even exist anymore, they're just going to hit the gym and then self-generate content. And then when it's on, they're going to show up and blow up harder than anybody else because they did all that hard work in the off season. And um, those three guys in particular, I feel like are actually probably earning a better living right now than a lot of their contemporaries over on Oahu. Yeah. Well, those three are doing pretty good, especially Kai, right? Kai Lenny's probably killing it. I'm sure that, Billy and Ian are also doing well. So Totally. Yeah. I think Ian's done really well. Yeah. And again, like self-generated, a lot of that stuff. Well, I have a must-see moment. Let's hear it. Um, it's who let these guys into Mexico. It's on Stab, and it's some Santa Cruz guys, and um, perhaps foremost amongst those, Nat Young looking incredible. I'm sure you've seen this, right? Have you watched this video? I didn't watch the full thing yet. When they were down there, I was watching the clips on Instagram. Um, and yeah, Michael Dunphy, Nat Young. There's, yeah, it's like a Santa Cruz, San Clemente. It's a, a combination of Santa Cruz, San Clemente. Okay. So Griffin. Oh, Griffin. Ian okay, Crane. That's right. that's right. Rufo, Nat Young, a couple of other like, I don't know, hangers on or just guys that are hardcore surfers that just happened to be on the trip because they needed to fill the trip up that are um, getting great waves. Was Rufo so, surfing? Yeah. How's he doing? Rufo's Rufo, man. Don't, don't <laughs> doubt the guy. He's, he knows how to throw down a backside hack. Um, my buddy DM'd me, I think, last night and said Nat Young kind of took the heat. Oh, you Nat Young's surfing so good. and so Really? so free and just the way you want him to surf when he's on the CT and the way he surfed when he was doing well on the CT, just sort of, you know, like liberated from, uh Oh, they're watching me. I better score points here. You know, that's the, the downside to getting into that Jersey mode where you just, you're sort of put into a box and you start to get box mentality and you're surfing. And he just looks like, I mean, straight up in the most vertical critical situation where you know, nine out of 10 of us would just be stalling to set up for the tube. He's just going, Whack! you know, and coming down, you know, without any fins engaged in the wave face, just coming down to the bottom and just transitioning into another one. 
and then stalling and getting in sick backdoor barrel. And I remember Nat Young, Nat Young looks insane in this video. So I remember when they were down there seeing a clip of him. I think it was a drone shot. It was a drone shot on a right. And he did a turn like you're saying, like smashed it and ended up slinking into the barrel backside in like a really unusual stance. And you could see because of the angle, like a slip and slide across the foam ball and then re-engaging the fins and coming out. And it was gnarly. It was like a yoga. You'd have to like be super bendy and flexible and cat-like to even navigate it. You know, it was incredible. Yeah. So again, it's called who let these guys into Mexico and, um, it's like 20 minutes long. It's a really fun watch. Gets you pretty fired up. How's Dumphy? Uh, pretty good. You know, like none of them. You're, you're not them, that impressed? Well, I mean, I'm not not impressed. I'm just saying like I, I didn't make any note about, yeah, you know, whatever. You're just I've always, you're I've a good always, surfer, you know, like. Yeah, I like Dumphy a lot. Um, and I feel like he's one of the best small wave surfers in the world. Like if there was an actual small wave tour, like. Huntington Beach, New Smyrna Beach, Virginia Beach. He would win the thing for sure. He's light. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's lightning fast. Uh, and I've I've never seen him in big waves. Let's say, but yeah, like head high barrels in Mexico, he surfs well in too. But um, yeah, in terms of small waves, he's your guy. He's the guy I'd put money on. All right, he'd take out Nat Young maybe. Duly noted. My must see moment is. Um, Nathan Florence posted a single clip. Uh, it's just a GoPro clip of him on a left in Waco at BSR Cable Park. And he's doing, he does a backside kind of 360 air. But it's such a cool perspective. He's holding the GoPro in his mouth probably. And the way that he gets up, every, and it's kind of, it's slow mode, every motion. And as you see that ramp coming, you're in his head. It really feels like a tutorial. It's like a 101 on get to your feet, pump here, bottom turn off here, hit the lip that way. The way that he spins, it just really felt almost like being, I mean, almost like being in the ocean or on a wave itself. And it really, not that I'll ever execute a backside spin like that, but it helped me understand the tutorial aspect of it. I found it to be really enlightening. So I'll post that on spitpodcast.com. Nathan Florence, backside spin at Waco. And by the way, Nathan Florence is somebody who has um, done really well to elevate his own profile through self-generated content. Like he's making a go for it in the vlogosphere space on YouTube and then, you know, leverage using Instagram to kind of promote the YouTube thing. But he's generating really interesting clips all of the time now. So he's a good follow. All right. Nathan Florence. Um, know it. Yesterday yeah. was Duke Kahanamoku's, would have been Duke Kahanamoku's 130th birthday. Wow. August cool. 24th, 19, 1890 was his birth date. Wow. So that's, that's a, big, it's a big Duke. Um, I also want to bring attention to one of your local brethren, Luke Dresner. Did you hear this story? I think it's Blake. I'm sorry, not not Luke, Blake. It is Blake. So you have heard this story. Did you know yeah, Blake? Yeah, he's one of my one of my son's best friends. Shh, no way. Yeah. How heavy is that? I don't know if best friend, maybe that's a stretch, but he's a dear friend of my son's. So Blake. Paddle out last, yesterday was the paddle out. 
Okay, so Blake is a tw- was 23-year-old who passed away while surfing in Mexico. Um, really, and he was a lifeguard, Encinitas lifeguard, right? So yep. from all accounts, a great guy doing great work and was free surfing Mexico, surfing kind of a thumping, barreling beach break and just had a bad wipeout and hit his head. The board, I guess, hit him in the head and his friends found him and they try. I guess they saw it from the beach and they tried to revive him. They got help, but it was a bad enough head injury that he didn't survive. I think they, it, I believe that his jugular vein was severed. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. Again, I don't have anything to back that up, but that's just sort of what I'm hearing through the community here in Encinitas, the surf community and through what my, what my son's telling me. So, um, tragic, a, a bleed out, a, a severe jugular bleed out. That's pretty hor- I mean, that's, that's a hard thing to, that, that's, that, well, it's a hard thing to, to try to save. Right. You know, like you can only put so much pressure on that jugular vein before it's just impossible to stop. You got to get blood to the brain. Well, um, that's got to be a traumatic thing for his friends to witness on the beach too. I mean, that's a horrible Yeah, I think scene. one of them died in his arms is what I'm hearing, but it's just, yeah, it's a horrible tragedy here in North San Diego County. And there was a, a really moving paddle out yesterday at D street and, uh, it's just been a bummer. You know, it's been kind of a bummer, very much of a bummer of a, of a week. It happened down at uh, Selena Cruz. So it's a reminder, surfing is dangerous. I mean, this is a very competent surfer and he's a lifeguard. So a competent ocean, you know, waterman, and it can happen to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty gnarly. And the waves, and this is the common theme here that I always hear with people's kind of um, harrowing experiences in the ocean is that it's not on the days you would expect. It's not like they were surfing 12 foot Puerto, you know, he's surfing when you look at it from the beach, super fun, rippable six footers or whatever, barreling six foot waves. And I remember Kelly talking about the most harrowing experience he had. He almost drowned surfing four foot, you know, kind of wind slop in France. And um, so be careful. Surfing is dangerous. Keep your guard up at all times. Yeah. And uh, cover your head. When you're in situations like that, I think I might have talked about it on the podcast two months ago. My friend from high school, Ted Navarro, who's got quite the Instagram following, um, Shreddy HB, wiped out at cylinders. And it's a wave. Like he surfed it for 15 years at this point, surfs it really well. He's the most competent surfer out there, but he wiped out at cylinders and the board got sucked up the face and hit him in the eye and it fractured his orbital socket. It broke his orbital socket. He almost lost his eye. And coming out of that, he's like, look, cover up your face. If you, if you're wiped out like that in any situation, just cover up, get in the turtle kind of position, cover up your face. And you're going to leave your, you know, lots of other parts of your body exposed that way, but you want to protect your head and your neck first and foremost. If you have any kind of uh, awareness or wherewithal when you're getting, you know, wiped out, shaken up, you uh, try your best to do that. So yeah, shout out to Blake and his family. Real tragic situation, 23 years old. So yeah, bummer. Thank you. Yeah. All right, Scott, another wonderful week. Yeah, buddy. You so trunk? Are you trunking it up you, there or down there? You see my my wooden surfboard. You didn't? Did I show you this wooden surfboard? No, I've, I've never seen that one. 
This is the wooden surfboard that's actually wood on water. There's no fiberglass on the bottom or the deck. Is it finished real with wood epoxy or something? Real water. Is it? It's got some varnish on it. Varnish? Yeah. How does it go? It goes great. I'm super psyched on it. I've been riding it, you know, in this last little swell we had. Um, I'm pretty geeked out on it. Is it I new? I love the whole wood on water, no fiberglass. Between Is it the wood. new? Yeah. Who shaped it? This guy, Don Sanford. Hmm. Yeah. He's what's the de- what's, what's the design? Construction guy up in Lacadia. It's a 5'10", three-fin, kind of like, you know, high-performance kind of tweener, tweener board. Fascinating. How does it perform differently Koa, than that foam? dark wood is Koa. The light wood is Polonia. Okay. And it's got a ribbed construction, you know, so it's got like little bulkheads in it, you know. Yeah, like chambered kind of. Yeah, kind of, well, not chambered, but yeah, the you know ribs. Frame. Yeah. Frames. Yeah. Um, how does it perform differently than foam wood? Um, stiffer. It might be a little bit stiffer. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Um, I'm still taking it through its paces. I surfed it two days in a row at the Del Mar beach break, which was a really good, it's a good place to feel out a board. Cause you, you got to do a lot of quick adjustments and you, you got to get to your feet quick and you got to get the board going quick. And the board worked insanely good. And I got a couple little head dips and a couple little turns and there's nothing bad. That's there's no poltergeist in this board. You know, it's, so I'm looking forward to riding it some more. Do you have a traction pad on it? Hell no. Good. I don't have a traction <laughs> pad on anything. You don't? No. Oh, really? Traction pad? I'm old school. All right. I didn't know that. I thought... I maybe thought I'm you... just stupid. I should maybe put on traction pads. No, I don't do traction pads. I just do wax. I'm just nice. Wax guy. Good. I like it. Uh, you and Mason Ho. Right. You see Mason Ho's? <laughs> Um, man, there was something else I was going to ask you about that. About no, the wood think. board. Yeah, I can't remember now. Came in at 7.2 pounds. Okay. It's got future fin boxes. Oh, have you been trunking it down there? Yes. Dude, the water, I mean, it was warm for a couple of weeks. This last week was literally, I want to say, 78 degrees up here. It was super warm. I just ordered some new Neat Essentials. I just pulled up Neat Essentials on my website. Ordered a new pair of trunks. They didn't have the scallop legs are out. They're out of the scallop legs in both the olive and the black. So I, I ordered the longer ones, the ones that we've had for the last couple of years. Yeah. I ordered, I actually ordered a wetsuit from them yesterday to send to a friend that I owed a gift to. Uh, but I talked to Rob yesterday and he said business has been booming and um, that's why they're out of those scallops. He said, yeah, they're sold out. I for- yeah, I forget the number he said, but they went through way more than they ever anticipated. So. And I ordered a leash too. Oh, there you so go. I bought a leash and a pair of trunks. All right. So you don't wear traction, but you do wear a leash. Well, I'm thinking about going on a trip here pretty soon. So, um, where to? I can't say. <laughs> Are, will you have to take a plane? Surfers are the worst. Will you have to take a plane? <laughs> You're going to Waco. I'm just going to let you kind of marinate in that. Just just chill out on that. All right. We'll discuss next week. Uh, Good catching up, Scott. Okay. 
great episode. Until next time, adios and aloha. For all grandes, I laughed at all his words. I thought he was a bitter man. He spoke of women's ways. The trap you'd and the use you before you even know. For love is blind and you're far too kind. Don't ever let it show.